Please do join me in taking out your Bibles once again and turning to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. As we go to God's Word, let's go to Him in prayer. Great God, our Heavenly Father, may Your Word before us be our rule. May Your Holy Spirit in us and among us be our teacher. And may Your greater glory be our chief and supreme concern. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When is a deadline not really a deadline? April 15th is coming up. It's a deadline, right? Request for extension granted. The taxes are late, so we'll pay a fine. Have you ever been late to pay a bill? The deadline was the first of the month, the 20th of the month, but you're late. There's a grace period, right? Usually a few days to get that payment in. I think most of us here have been to an airport, have flown in an airplane. But you know, there, there is a deadline, right? Boarding, you're not there. They close the gate, the the plane pushes away from the gate and you're not on the plane. But that's really not a deadline because chances are you can catch another flight, a later flight. Now, I've seen this happen a number of times. The command goes out, single up all lines, take in all lines, underway, shift colors. And the tugs help the ship get off the dock and invariably you'll see a sailor running down the pier. He is not going to make it. It's a deadline. But you know what? That sailor will eventually make it to the ship. He'll be late, of course. He'll receive punishment, and rightly so, for missing ship's movement. But, and this is really important, that sailor will survive. Again, when is being late really too late? When can you not get an extension? When is there no longer a grace period? When is too late really too late? It's when you're no longer alive but dead. In today's text, the preacher will present a couple of things to do before it really is too late. We're in Ecclesiastes, an Old Testament wisdom book. Solomon, the preacher, is writing. At the beginning of the book, he says, all is vanity, Not meaninglessness, but rather like a mist, like a vapor, like a breath. In other words, it's fleeting. It's empty. And toward the end, he proclaims again, all is vanity. It's fleeting. It's temporary. It's like a breath. It's like a mist. 
And at the very end, as we'll look at next week, again, we'll see how the preacher says that his book is going to have words of pleasure, words of pain, words that provide perspective, fear God and keep his commandments, and words that call us to prepare for death and judgment, as we will see in particular in today's text. Week after week, Ecclesiastes has been helping us stay anchored to our calling as Christians to live by faith in Jesus Christ and not by sight in a sinful and fallen world, a world that's miserable, frustrating, futile, confusing, chaotic. Ecclesiastes is presenting the necessity to fear God in this world. The preacher wants us to see that without God, life under the sun is empty. But with God, not just under the sun, but above the sun, beyond the sun, with God, life is fulfilling. Week after week, the preacher has been confronting us with the hard reality of the little that we do know and the vast extent of what we cannot control. I'm thankful, as I hope you are as well, that Ecclesiastes does not have, nor does it claim to have, all the answers. It helps us to ask the right questions, to be sure, and it helps us in doing so to know, to love, to serve God, even when we don't have all the answers. Of course, it's a life of faith, not by sight. Last week, when we looked at living by faith in the first six verses of chapter 11, the preacher is beginning to bring his book to a climax and a conclusion, and he issues three commands, all necessary to help us live by faith in a fallen and frustrating world. Remember those commands? Get to work. Watch out. Don't quit. And after three warnings against being paralyzed to taking no action, verse 6 is, is by far the most optimistic uh, verse thus far the most optimistic perspective for those who sow there will be a harvest keep sowing morning and night whether one of them brings a harvest or both of them brings harvest you don't know and we saw last week that walking by faith and not by sight requires us nonetheless to look to look to God his word his word written and his word in the flesh manifested supremely in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Let's move into our text for today. So join me as I read verses 11, 7 through 12, 8. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years... Let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment." Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, 
before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Well, in our text, I believe we will see two things to do before it's too late. Better, two things to learn to do before it's too late. Learn to enjoy life and learn to prepare for death. I say learn because none of us show up able really in our sinful condition from birth to know how to enjoy life rightly. None of us know how to prepare for death rightly. But thanks be to God that his word and spirit grow and change his children. If anything, we are learners and I hope today We will be grateful for the lessons we are learning. So let's look at verses 7 through 10 of chapter 11. Learn to enjoy life. Verses 7 and 8, rejoice in the light. There's that image of light. The goodness of life is light. If you can see the sun, what does that mean at at base? At its most basic, you're alive. You're alive. Um, There's a a businessman in this area that I call his office regularly. And when he answers the phone, he said, this is Ed. And I said, Ed, how are you doing? Every time Ed says, I'm still on the right side of the dirt. Let that sink in for a moment. What's Ed saying? He's saying he's glad he's alive. And I will usually retort with, yes, it sure beats the alternative, doesn't it? Being on the wrong side of the dirt, under the dirt, not above the dirt. I've been using that slowly as a means to uh, get into Ed's world and talk to him about life and death and um, who he's trusting, who he's serving, given the fact that right now he's on the right side of the dirt. Notice it's pleasant. And the command, let him rejoice in all the days of your life. Uh, God's gift of life is, is to be enjoyed, not just endured. To be sure, he's the God of endurance and encouragement. And to be sure, endurance of is 
is a quality of the Christian life, walking by faith. But, but here, it's to be enjoyed. And at the same time we rejoice, we would also, we must remember, as he says, that the days of darkness will be many. Our attitude is to be like what opened up our worship service. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now, a failure to rejoice and a failure to remember that the evil days are coming, therefore rejoice now. A failure to rejoice and remember is not, is not good. Why? Because everything will soon pass away swiftly. Look how he ends this. Just all that comes is vanity. It's a vapor. It's a mist. It's, it's smoke. It's, it's fleeting. So in verses 7 to 8, it's rejoice in the light. Rejoice while you're alive. And look at verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Wait a minute. Repetition? Huh, sounds like Paul writing to the church in Philippi, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. Kids, when you see stuff repeated, it's calling our attention to it. Rejoice, rejoice. And he speaks of youth and he's saying, don't rejoice that you are young. Rejoice while you are young. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Not because you're young, but, but while you're young. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But... But know that for all these things, God will bring you in to judgment. There's a warning. There's a qualification. You know, earlier in chapter 11, it's you do not know, you do not know, you do not know. But here, but know, but know, you know this. God here will bring you into judgment. And in the original language, it's interesting. It's the God will bring you into the judgment. Rejoice in ways internal, uh, the, the ways of your heart, and, and ways external, uh, the sight of your eyes. But some people have seen in this a license for hedonism, a license for worldly pleasure. You know, follow your heart, follow your eyes. It's not what the preacher is saying because he gives this qualification and this warning. God, the creator, God, the maker, God is the judge. In the Valley of Vision, Every so often, uh, especially with the men's prayer breakfast, we read the prayer, we pray the prayer, morning needs. And it's got this line that is good, but sometimes I wish it wasn't there. It says this, may I engage in nothing in which I cannot implore thy blessing and in which I cannot invite thy inspection. Wow. With the ways of my heart, 
and, and the sight of my eyes, can I ask God, can you ask God for his blessing on that? Can you, without any moment's hesitation, ask God as it were, invite him to inspect that? I think most of the time praying that prayer gives us an opportunity to confess sin, doesn't it? Rejoice in the light. Again, rejoice. But not only rejoice, look at verse 10. Remove. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remove from the heart and, and put away from the body. It's, it's, it's not a focus on negatives to the extent that the pleasant opportunities that God are missed. He wants us to, to enjoy the good things in life and it requires a proper perspective on the bad things in life. One commentator says this, this is not a call to deny the very real suffering that everyone experiences. Nor is it a call to escape pain by living for pleasure. Rather, it is a call to take care of our mental and physical health. Remove vexation, anxiety, uh, anger, grief. Remove it from your heart. Put away pain from your body. Do what you can while you're living. To love God, as it were, with your heart, mind, soul, strength. Take care of yourself mentally, physically, emotionally. And why? Why do that? Look at how that verse ends. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. It's like mist. It's like smoke. It's like vapor. It's here one day, it's gone the next. It's fleeting and it's fading. The preacher is going to transition from the enjoyment of seeing the sun being alive to the approach of death. He includes now God who is above the sun and death which is, as it were, beyond the sun. And and so not only does the preacher want us to learn To enjoy life properly, rightly, according to God's ways, his rules, his law. Enjoy God, enjoy life the way God made it. But also to learn how to learn to prepare for death. We see in verse 1, if... um, If there's a verse that's known in Ecclesiastes, it may be this. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Look not only to the life of joy, but also to its maker. Interestingly, creator here in the original Hebrew is plural. Creator, given this this expression of of majesty and superiority. And here, the preacher is intentional. He's looking back to creation. He could have chosen any number. Remember your God. Here, remember your creator. It's more than just 
a memory or an acknowledgement. When we read, remember, it's involving action. He is the creator, we are the creatures. He is independent, we are dependent. He is all-sufficient, self-sufficient. We are desperately in need. One theologian says here, the reader just has to drop our pretense of self-sufficiency and commit ourselves to him. Remember your creator in the days of your youth while you've got time. Even though death can come to any and all at any time, generally speaking, generally speaking, death does not visit the youth. There's time. There's time to enjoy life. There's time to prepare for death. And when, when are we to remember our creator? And you'll notice three times you'll hear before, before, before. This is time-oriented. It's, it's going to depict not just the process of aging, but the time of death. Now the rest of verse 1 all the way through verse 7 is a single sentence in Hebrew. And we will see, and if you heard and were listening, it's a picturesque description of old age and death. Interestingly, if you read this sentence in its original language as one sentence, you know what's interesting? Is by the time you finish reading it, you're out of breath. Wonder if that was in the mind of the preacher, talking about vanity, fleetingness of life. Just this very sentence, this very section, just by reading it, you're out of breath. Now, these images, there have been variously interpreted as a human body and, and, and as a community. Uh, there's human body parts, there's There's um, uh, a community that's experiencing death in the household, and there's some people see four classes of people. Um, You even see a gathering storm. Let me just read it again and make a few comments along the way. Once again, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. You're getting older. The body is failing. Pleasure is less. Days of pleasure are fewer and far between. Before the sun and light and the moon and the stars are darkened, there's the fading of light. Earlier, we saw in verse 7 of chapter 11, light is sweet and now there's the fading of light, the darkening of light. Kind of a storm is coming. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease, uh, most folks see the grinders as teeth. They're falling out and becoming useless. And those who look through the windows are dim. The eyesight is failing. And the doors on the street are shut. Just you feel your life is, is closing in. 
And for those of you that know some older people, I've had grandparents that have told me, you know, I wake up in the middle of the night and I can't back, get back to sleep. And here's this, one rises up at the sound of a bird. Just a little bird is all it takes to wake you up and you can't get back to sleep. And the daughters of song are brought low. Your hearing is starting to fail. They are afraid also of what is high. Here the movement is away from imagery just to, to fears. You're afraid of heights and there's other terrors that are in the way. And there's this image now back to almond trees blossoms, kind of hair turns white and the grasshopper drags itself along, an image of kind of trouble walking, dragging, not being strong and swift. And desire fails, both appetite and commentators say sexual desire fades in old age. Aging. Look at again at the beginning of verse 5. They're afraid. There's terrors. They're having trouble walking. Desire is fading. Because man is going to his eternal home. What is the ultimate harbinger of death? Well, it's getting old, getting closer to the day of death. And this has been a poetic, image-filled section where he's just describing something that we all see. And he's putting it into words, aging, getting closer and closer to death. And notice how death is referred to. In verse 5 at the end, because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about in the streets. Here's death referred to as your eternal home and, and mourning people's response to the tragedy, to the intrusion, to the wrongness of death they mourn. And it's interesting that even to this day, Jewish cemeteries are known, are called by the name of Beth Olam, house of mourning. House of mourning. Verse 6 opens up another image of death. A silver cord is snapped, the golden bowl is broken, the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, the wheel is broken at the cistern. Images of you cut the cord, and whatever it was holding falls and breaks. That bowl that held something is broken and, and the life, as it were, that was in the bowl goes out. The, the cord that's bringing up the wheel, the wheel of the, of the well that's bringing up the, the bucket to bring water fails. The, the, the um, pitcher is shattered. The, the water escapes. All pictures of death and dying. Pictures of death. But then, as we continue, look what we read in verse 7. And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Death, the separation of, of soul and body, the separation of spirit and body. Here, the images are sort of abandoned for the preacher just to go to Scripture. 
You know, earlier we read in um, chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis about creation, but then, of course, there's the fall. And you remember this in chapter 3, verse 19. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Think with me about Psalm 90. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. Again, the psalmist will say, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. The preacher is pointing to the need to get a heart of wisdom as you prepare for death. Ashes to ashes and dust to dust. The dust goes to the ground, the spirit to God. Aging and death here consist, as one commentator says, as some of the hardest experiences in life. But the Bible is honest about this, but not bitter. Just yesterday, I was, my attention was turned to Knowing God by J.I. Packer, and in it, he speaks of, and I didn't know this until now, that Ecclesiastes is his favorite book of the Bible because he says it's utterly realistic. It calls life the way it is, both the sin and the misery, but also God, the Creator. Now, there's a bit of debate about verse 8. Where does it belong? Is it in the epilogue or, or is it here? And I've chosen in my most recent study to include it here. And look at how he ends this section. He's talking about the dust, the body returning to the earth as it was, and the spirit returning to God who, who gave it. The, the spirit of God, God breathing into man the spirit Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. An echo, a quote of chapter 1, verse 2. Because of death, in other words, life really is fleeting. I mean, human breath, when it ends, everything ends with life. The breathing stops. The rest of life stops. Everything that's been done in life is over. And yet the preacher is wanting us to see that we've got to acknowledge and really be content with the brevity of life because it produces the freedom to live the life that God gives and to enjoy it. The preacher is saying if there's no God, there's no judge. And if there's no judge... There's no final judgment. And if there's no final judgment, there's no ultimate meaning. And so when the, the preacher says vanity of vanities, all is vanity, he's not saying everything is meaningless. Rather, he's saying everything matters. God's going to evaluate it. Everything matters. What we do matters. 
So that's how the preacher concludes this. But let's, as we head toward the end, let's think about the Bible's conclusion. This may be the preacher's conclusion, but what's the Bible's conclusion? Uh, What are some lessons that we are to learn by following Jesus? Remember, in Mark 9, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Now what's Jesus talking about? You try to grab everything and save your life here and now and go for pleasure and work and wisdom. You try to grab it and you're going to lose it. But you lose your life for me, Jesus says. You'll save it. You'll find it. Indeed, in his own words, Jesus says that one of the reasons he came is that they might have life and have it abundantly. And what kind of life did Jesus live on earth? Jesus enjoyed life. How? He obeyed his father. And Jesus enables us to enjoy life as well. These things, he says, I have spoken to you that my joy, my enjoyment of life may be in you and that your joy may be full. Shocking, isn't it? Jesus is speaking of himself, of possessing joy, giving it to those who follow him. Jesus enjoyed life by obeying his Father. He enables us, therefore, to be able to enjoy life by his Holy Spirit. But also, Jesus prepared for death, his own death. How? By trusting his Father. Read the Gospel of John. The relationship between the Son and the Father. Jesus prepared for death by trusting his Father And Jesus enables us to prepare for death by trusting our Father. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die. And what is the preacher saying? You're going to die. Yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. What a great truth, what a great statement, followed by a question, of course. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? My friends, when is a deadline really a deadline? For real. No extensions, no exceptions, no grace period. No, I wasn't really serious. When is a deadline not? When is a deadline for real, in other words? Well, it's our own death. There's no going back. And what does the preacher tell us? Rejoice in your youth 
And remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Rejoice in knowing that your creator is also your redeemer, that your maker is also your savior. Isn't that beautiful about the truth of scripture? That the one who makes us, saves us, takes care of us. We are not our own. We belong body and soul to our precious Savior, Jesus Christ, our faithful Savior. Rejoice not only knowing that your creator is also your redeemer, but rejoice in knowing that Jesus has come to give you life. Now, the ability to enjoy life and, and life forever, the ability to prepare for your own death which will be the entrance to a new and glorious life without end. My friends, enjoy life, Scripture says, and prepare for death. How? Through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, although the sands of time are sinking, right? With the hourglass of our lives, the sand is going south. While the sands of time are sinking, today, this very day, is the day of salvation. Let's all rejoice and be very glad in it. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your creating of us, and your recreating of us. We thank you that you not only have made us, but you have saved us, you have rescued us, and we are safe with you. Father, help us through faith in Jesus to enjoy life, to enjoy friendships and family and good food and sunsets and sunrises and laughter hard day's work, a good night's sleep. Help us to enjoy life with your approval. And oh, Father, help us to prepare for death. To be sure, it is appointed that we die and face judgment. We thank you, Father, that through faith in Jesus, we can approach the judgment unafraid and increasingly thankful for the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.